Um, open up your, your notes that you already have, hopefully. If you don't, then you're going to be taking notes on your own. Uh, because um, the pastor is, as you know, if you've been coming, you guys are what? Uh, halfway through, approximately through the seventh church, right? Uh, that we're looking at the latest in church, the one that we are a part of. And uh, he's going to finish that up then over the next week or two uh, with you. What we're going to do tonight is go back and review and take a look at, because we all know what happens after we study or look at something, right? You're like me when somebody tells me their name. And in my head, two seconds later, I'm going, what did they just tell me? <laughs> I mean, that's literally, truly, you know, what happens in my head. I'm thinking, what, what, who did they just tell me they are? I, that's what happens. So um, it's sad that sometimes we can remember statistics about either sports teams or things that we like better sometimes than the Word of God and the things of God. Uh, but that is our flesh fighting us, Okay. So fight back, all right? Don't, don't, don't be weak there. Fight back with all that you've got. So we're going to come back, run through it. We got, we've got a little bit more than an hour, which gives us about uh, a little over 10 minutes in, in each of those previous six churches, church ages that we're going to look at. Um, I'm not going to go back through defining church history and, and uh, uh, looking at Satan and what's going on. We all know what history is, right? History is God moving in a direction and the recording of Satan trying to counter that. Or you could say, from a practical standpoint for us, the devil moving against God and us seeing what God is doing to uh, counteract his work. Either way. Uh, but that is what history is. Um, there's all kinds of definitions of history, but... Um, as, as many of you have probably heard, history is his story, God's, okay? It doesn't matter what man has written down. Uh, God is the author of history, and he's the only one that has the truth. Or, you know, they say, um, you know, the conquerors write history, all right? So they get to tell their own story. Well, um, the conqueror over death, Jesus Christ, writes the history, and he writes it true because he is, right, his name, he's got it written, true and faithful so we'll go with his and, and what he says the cool thing about history when when you're you're studying uh, uh, what God has to say about history is that not only is the past history true the future history is true also all right you say well it can't be history it hadn't happened yet no again it's his story don't forget that his story it's his and uh, if you want it right how many of you trust the media? <laughs> okay. Uh, or trust anything else? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, my, my old uh, uh, dad in the faith used to say, uh, the word of God is more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. Now, young people today say, what's a newspaper, right? <laughs> okay. But uh, I think you get the point uh, because it's absolutely true. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, again and kind of come back and go over everything here quickly. Um, we won't go over the outline because I think you know it. Uh, so where, let me ask you, and I, and I want to do this um, with you, not just at you, if you will. Where in the Bible 
is, is our text for church age history. Revelation what? Correct. Everybody catch that or know that, I hope? Revelation 2 and 3 is where uh, you get the uh, God's, God's synopsis, if you will, uh, of each of the seven church ages uh, running from uh, the book of Acts through hopefully tonight or tomorrow in terms of the uh, rapture and then uh, the start of the tribulation age. But running through the end of this uh, earth and the beginning of a, of a new heaven and a new earth uh, after the great white throne judgment. So uh, let's start with the very first one. Um, somebody tell me real quick, uh, what's the very first church age? Ephesus, that's right, Ephesus. And that's an easier one. Um, I think we all, I don't, I don't know if relate is the right word, but because we have the book of Ephesians and, and there's a lot about Ephesus, you see Paul there a lot, I think that sticks out to us. Um, we will do this and looking at it, remembering how many applications of Scripture do we have? Oh, I guess I gave that away, didn't I? <laughs> my, my flesh is just... Yeah, three. Somebody tell me. What are they? You got notes if you, got, if you have your notes. But what are they? Yep. Yep. Historical what? Yep. Yep. Inspirational or practical... Um, some people say devotional, but we like to say inspirational. Uh, so this letter uh, is written directly, historically, to the Church of Ephesus around 91 to 96 A.D. Doctrinally, it details the events and circumstances taking place during the church age around 90 A.D. to, anybody remember how far? It's about 200 A.D. And, and remember this, when we give you dates, they're, they're approximate, Okay. Um, sometimes when we look at not only church history, but just events in the Bible, um, when, when we talk about time periods, uh, we put dates on them to give us context, all right? Um, every now and then there's, there's a specific event that separates two things. Like, like we've talked about, um, I know when I've taught uh, some of this, and primarily pastor, uh, we talk about Antoniacene and post-Niacene. You guys remember that? Okay. What's Niacene? What's that about? What, what, what event is that? Because that's a specific event. It's the Niacene Creed. We'll hit it here in just a little bit. That is produced, and we will review that real quick. Anti-Niacene means before, just like um, when we say the antediluvian world. That means the, the world before the flood, Noah's flood specifically, okay? Uh, and post, which means after, of course. So keeping those things in mind, remember these are approximate to give you some context. Uh, there, you know, there's, no, there's no line that all of a sudden one day people say, hey, did you see this line that says Ephesians is ending right here? <laughs> or the, the church of Ephesus? No, uh, it it's, has to do with what was going on. Uh, doctrinally, uh, we hit, I'm sorry, inspirationally contains the commendations, condemnations, and warnings to all the churches at all times in history. So, um, understanding that, uh, looking at the church of Ephesus, uh, let's remember uh, some important things. One, uh, 
The church of Ephesus begins after the death of the apostles, brings us into the period commonly referred to as the apostolic church what? Huh? Fathers. The apostolic church fathers. Those people that, that wrote uh, a lot of letters and pastored many of them uh, or taught and went out um, doing those things. The main influence of the Ephesus church uh, were the apostles. Uh, look over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 real quick. Ephesians 2 and verse 20. We will look at that real quick. This is where this comes from. Is anybody else in here warm? I, it seems kind of warm in here to me. Okay, so I, I'm not undressing. I'm just I'm buttoning my shirt because it seems a bit warm to me, if not you. Um, okay, Ephesians 2.20 says, um, and let's start in 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Semicolon. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and uh, in whom the whole body fitly framed together. Um, so that's what this church age uh, is centered on and about. Uh, after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Christ after Paul's work in particular, but it actually starts right around here. And, and realize that uh, the book of Revelation uh, is written uh, towards the beginning of this time period. Okay? So it just gives you an idea of where that comes from and biblically where it comes from. All right? It was directly influenced by the 12 apostles. And when I say 12, I don't mean Judas. I'm talking uh, about... The, the 11 plus Matthias uh, that's added there in uh, Acts chapter uh, 2 or 1 at the end of chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. Uh, it was directly influenced also by their disciples, and that's the what is commonly called the apostolic church fathers. Uh, Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Papias, Epicurus, Basilius, Polycarp, Justin Martyr. Remember those names now? Okay. Uh, that's the, those are the people that were in and influenced this church age, this church period, uh, the first church uh, of the church period, I should say, of the church age. Um, we see the development of two lines during this time, okay? Very, very important. What's the most important thing outside of your salvation that you have? It's one of the things that, that Jesus replaced himself with when he left. Okay, he, the Holy Spirit, the local church, and what? Your Bible, that's right. Without your Bible, you don't know about the Holy Spirit, all right? You don't have a definition. You don't, you don't know, hey, why is the local church important? You don't see those things. And so, of course, what's going to be attacked first? As it was in the Old Testament, by the way, okay? But, of course, that's going to be the first thing that's attacked, and that is what happens, of course, in this church period, this first church period. So you see a biblical line. Uh, and it traces its roots back to uh, the most important church uh, that you see in the book of Acts and the most important church during this time period. Who would that be? Say, what? No. Close, but what? No, never, never Alexander. Nobody get what? Acts chapter 11. It's the church of Antioch, the church of Antioch. 
Uh, now, if you read secular church history or even scholarly church history, if you will, or academia, Christian academia, they're going to tell you Jerusalem. And it is not Jerusalem. Jerusalem had a lot of problems. Their biggest one was God told them to what? Go, right? Did they go? No, they clustered. They, they're like, you just thought they had COVID-19, you know, shelter in place. Here we are, you know, type of mentality. And so what did God do? He brought persecution and kicked the horns nest and got them out. See, and that's, that's the danger for you and I. God tells us to do things. And when you don't do it, guess what? God's like, hey, I told you to do something, right? I mean, when it was your dad and he told you to do something, you didn't do it. How'd that work out? All right? So when your heavenly father tells you, yeah, Church of Antioch. Church of Antioch went out. Church of Antioch where you see those deacons. Church of Antioch is where you see everything happen, um, really, as far as allowing the Holy Spirit of God, seeing what the Holy Spirit of God was doing and uh, was used mightily. And that's, that's where that biblical line uh, goes through. The non-biblical line, of course, is lost, traces its roots to Alexandria, Egypt. It's very difficult to identify who is in which line if you read most church history. So be very careful. Um, Bob and I were, were just talking about someone. Uh, there's, there's a whole line. You'll, you'll get these uh, church fathers of church history, um, guys like Zwingli, who killed Christians. So how can you put him in that line? I, I don't understand that mentality. But that's, that's where it comes from, that non-biblical line. The non-biblical line, by the way, will be very scholarly, uh, very theological, um, but watch out. It, the question is always, is it biblical, right? If, if you don't have a, a, a true measure, then, then you don't know what you got, right? And the Bible is the true measure. Um, the name Ephesus, anybody remember what that means? Now, I'll just give you, this This is just tips, helps, hints, whatever you want to do. Um, I have these written down in my Bible next to each one, okay? And, and that's a good thing to do, uh, especially if you have a wide margin. You've got places to do that. So you can put down Church of Ephesus, first of the seven, runs approximately 90 A.D. to approximately 200 A.D. Ephesus means fully purposed, remember? This is a church this church aid is fully purposed in what they're doing. Their purpose is to spread the gospel and plant churches, which is what you saw Paul doing, what you saw the apostles doing, what you saw the apostolic church fathers doing after them. They used uh, a line of Bible manuscripts traced back to Antioch, of course. Uh, they used the Syrian manuscripts uh, that uh, I know Pastor talked about, the, the um, Pachetto uh, and so forth, the old Syriac uh, originals around 100 to 200. It's uh, filled with a lot of good churches and solid biblical foundation. That's the key. The uh, commendation for the church uh, of Ephesus is found in Revelation 2.2, 2, uh, where he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. So their commendation was that they were per persevering. 
they were a laboring church. They wouldn't give up. They kept going. They were doing the job. That's the bottom line. Okay. They were constantly under Roman persecution, by the way. Uh, Domitian who, uh, uh, and Nero, uh, who, who loved Nero. Uh, and of course, we all know about Nero and his fiddle and burning. And I had an affinity with fire, apparently. Uh, but it was doctrinally sound. That's what's important. Doctrinally sound. And uh, let's see, what else do we want to say about this church? Oh, look at, uh, look at, at uh, verse 6 in chapter 2. But this thou hast, that thou hast, uh, hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They hated the things that Jesus hated. Um, you want to be a good Christian, a good church, you want to be fruitful, hate the things that God hates. I did a sermon series one time um, when it seemed like in Christianity, everybody was just talking about, you know, we just have to, to love because God doesn't hate, he loves. Man, I was hearing that like crazy back in what, uh, around 2010 or so. I'm like, what? Have you not read a Bible? I mean, any Bible <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, but, you know, back there in Proverbs 6, alone, that's just one spot. It's not the only, but it, it's, it gives you that definitive passages there. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination. You know, my, uh, my, my point on that was simply you can't love the things that God loves if you don't hate the things that he hates. Uh, you, you know, there's some things he hates, and, and it would be good to know them if you don't. Spend some time there in, in Proverbs chapter 6. I'm sorry. Yeah, Proverbs chapter 6. Um, they hated the things that Jesus hated. Um, they taught the clergy class was to lord over the common people. That, this is one, this is, you know, they had commendations and condemnation in each church, uh, except one. And uh, that was the condemnation. They, they were allowing some of those things at times. And, of course, we see what that grows into as we go on. Uh, so that was the condemnation. They had left their first love. Okay, verse 5, 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And uh, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else it will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Um, again, every single thing that is said to each of these churches, by the way, are, are things for you and I to be looking at in our own lives, and, and taking an inventory, you know, doing a reckoning. Okay, you understand a reckoning? A reckoning is when the accounts are all called up and looked at and then called into account, not just looked at. Oh, yeah, that doesn't look good. Okay, but, but they got to get fixed, so guess what? You're going to have to do something. You need to have a reckoning with the Word of God at times, and that's a good place to start, church. Um, during this time, Christians began using words, phrases, and concepts that are not found anywhere in the Bible. Does that sound familiar? We, we use these kind of words, concepts, phrases in Christianity like crazy today, you know. Well, this is the way we're going to reach the lost. No, that's not how you're going to reach the lost. You reach the lost by giving them the gospel, and the Holy Spirit of God does the work. Not me, not you, not anybody else, right? So it has nothing to do with my ability to speak or my technique that I, I learned for evangelism. And there are good things to learn. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's the Holy Spirit that does that work. It's the Word of God that does that work. And when you start using non-biblical phrases, the next thing you know, you're saying things that are not true and, in fact, are anti-biblical, okay? So we won't get into that because of time's sake. All right, uh, 
course, God tells this church, we read it, that they must repent or lose their ability to shine as a light in the darkness. Uh, so very, very important. We're not going to look at uh, all these different guys during that church period, uh, but let's remember that this is also uh, the time period that you see um, things happening down in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, Philo establishes a university down there, a religious university, um, and his goal, of course, was to blend the Old Testament Judaism with Greek philosophy, which is still in the church today, by the way. If you look at Calvinism, for instance, that's really Greek in its origin, okay, Greek philosophy, but we won't get into that. Um, they love guys, you know, what uh, I call the, the secular trio, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, you know, one after another, a disciple of each. Um, Clement of Alexandria, he uh, is the first one to call the University of Alexandria Christian. There's nothing Christian about it, never was. He believed that uh, just as God had given the law to the Jews, he had given philosophy to the Greeks. What? <laughs> no. No. Um, we won't dive deep in that because we're going to see that come up some more. So what's the next church age? No. Smyrna. There you go. Smyrna. Smyrna. And uh, the Smyrna church age takes place during the time of the great persecutions of pagan Rome towards people who are called Christians at that time. Uh, it's a very horrible, murderous time. Um, how many of you read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Yep. How many have read it within the last few years? Amen. That's good. Uh, that's one of those books I recommend you read every few years. Um, it, it's, it's good for us to see what uh, our brothers and sisters went through. Uh, to get us to where we're at today. And uh, that was during this time period as well. Uh, it starts around 200 A.D., of course, ends in 325 A.D. with the Council of Nicaea that we spoke about earlier. So these two churches, Ephesus and Smyrna, are anti-Nicaean, in other words, before the Nicaean Creed, and the rest of them are post-Nicaean. So when you see those terms when you're reading, that's what that's about. Um, the seed of deviation uh, in the Ephesus time period blossoms into this endless debate uh, of criticisms concerning the authority of the word of God versus the authority of the church fathers and their concepts, something that we see still today. Um, but this is where you really see it come into its own. Um, anybody remember what the name Smyrna means? Myrrh. And, and why is that important? Okay. What is myrrh? So it's a, it's a um, oil, if you will, okay, perfume. Uh, but it's used primarily for what? Does anybody know? Yeah, embalming, you know, preparing uh, the body. And uh, it's associated, in other words, with bitterness and death. Um, and that's what this church goes through is a lot of bitterness and death. Uh, the name supernaturally represents the characteristics of that time period. Uh, Jesus reminds them that they aren't alone because they are persecuted so, so much. He says in, in uh, if you look at uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. Notice that's in print. He's reminding them. 
hey, I know, you, I know you're in poverty, but don't forget, you are rich. Rich. And I know the blasphemy of them, which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Okay? Big deal. And, and I know uh, Pastor myself spent a lot of time with that. They, uh, uh, they had to contend with the blasphemy being taught from the synagogue, synagogue of Satan. And uh, what is that? We won't deep dive into that uh, in, in a review like this because you've already been over it. But remember, if, if there's a, uh, a biblical line and a non-biblical line, then when it comes to a church, what are you going to have? Absolutely. True church and a false church. And uh, uh, remember, what's one of the main characteristics of the devil? What does he like to do when, with the things of God? He likes to imitate them. So what's he do? He, he's trying to, he reproduces his own church, his own Bible, and, and it starts with producing his own Bible. And then it's easy to start attaching and pulling in from things already around uh, to bring them in and make them look like they're good and they're not. Um, the synagogue of Satan has the purpose of teaching false doctrines disguised as the Word of God. Sounds like today, right? Because it is the same thing, and it's continuing. The main area of deviation during this uh, church age comes from the University of Alexandria, led by uh, Origen, a man named Adamantius Origen. Sounds like a Marvel villain name, doesn't it? <laughs> Adamantius Origen, you know, type of thing. Uh, most of the false doctrines that exist in today's Christianity can be traced right back to him. I mean, directly. So his beliefs uh, are these. And, and, and you need to remember these. If you should have, I know you have them in the notes, but remember this. He rejects the deity of Jesus. How can you be Christian and say you're a Christian college? Oh, wait a minute. We have these all over today. <laughs> and reject the deity of Christ. He believes in re regeneration by water baptism. He's what we commonly call a water dog, right? Powers in the tub, not the blood, which, of course, is false. Um, you can pull the plug on that one, so to speak. All right? Why? Because the power is in the blood, not the tub. And, and that is probably your oldest deviation, um, blasphemy in the church that, that you see that existed early on and continues to this day. Um, believes that Jesus Christ, the Son, is being eternally begotten by God. Um, comes from the same place that, uh, like the, the uh, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, who believe that uh, Jesus and Satan are both begotten gods, and there's a whole bunch of other ones all sitting around the table, kind of like a pantheon, a Greek pantheon or Egyptian pantheon or something like that. And they're all just sitting up there and waiting to go out, you know, because they, they believe eventually they'll go out and populate worlds and be gods of other worlds. Again, it sounds like a Marvel comic, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. Um, they believe that Satan would be saved one day. <laughs> okay. Uh, believe that after death there's an intermediate uh, uh, state in which souls may purge their sins. What's that known as today? Purgatory, yeah, in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I, I have known personally, I used to have a lot of interaction with several priests here in town and a bishop eventually as those discussions went on. But uh, it started because of a friend of mine who um, saw the gospel and witnessed to him. Um, sometimes probably brashly instead of uh, boldly and, and with humility uh, as a young Christian, but, but God used it anyway. And what came out of that was he, they, they were hesitant. It's too, 
two uh, people in particular, husband and wife, because their whole family's Catholic and they have been praying for and paying to get a relative, and I, I think it was an uncle, but I, I can't remember for sure, I'm pretty sure it was, who still had a foot in purgatory. And not a joke, they, they believe this. And they had paid over $40,000 getting the rest of them out and just got to get that foot out. When you grow up with that, and you believe it, and they would see that. I, I had an, another, at the same time period, another guy that I worked with who um, had been raised Catholic, wasn't much of a Catholic most of his life, got involved with drugs, but then the Catholic Church got him out of that. Good thing. And, and I remember one time we were sitting at a restaurant. And, and I had taken the word of God and just showed him exactly what the difference between what his church said and the Bible said, including a book I had that was an approved. There's a there's a thing that that the um, the, the church in Rome uh, has that they put on a book that shows that this is Catholic doctrine, official Catholic doctrine. And showed him because he didn't believe some of the things I was telling his church believed, and there it was. We sat there for 22 minutes, silent. I know it's hard to believe I was silent for 22 minutes and I was awake. I understand, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it was one of those times where God was just wait, Mark, just wait. And I'm telling you, he sat there and, and he was just like <sighs> for 22 minutes because I'm watching the clock on the wall. And he finally told me, he says, I see what you're showing me. But I, I can't go against the church. That's, that's somebody who has been enslaved and abused spiritually. I don't know if he ever got saved. I pray that he did and, and has. This is where these things come from. Uh, denied the coming millennial kingdom, believed in a pre-existence of the human soul, okay, which, again, that's Greek philosophy, that's Plato, you know, like the well of souls type of thing, you know. The baby comes in that soul that's in there. Ridiculous stuff. Denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus, but spiritualized it. Believed in the allegorical method of Bible study, <clears throat> except for Matthew 19, 12. You know what Matthew 19, 12 says? Go back, take a look. Okay. Matthew nineteen twelve. How think ye? <clears throat> oh, oops, sorry. I'm in the wrong chapter. Okay. You get there eventually, right? For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive him, let him receive it. He made himself a eunuch. <laughs> he didn't spiritualize that one. Uh, his life and work, uh, he's called the father's textual criticism, by the way, something we still deal with today. Um, wrote the famous Hexapla. Anybody heard of that? I mean, if you're in this class, you, you, you should. There's something you should know. I'll, I'll be honest, okay? 
The hex apple is where he took, now I can't remember what hex stands for. Six? Okay, okay, all right, that was good. Different translations or different manuscripts, and then did his own as a last column. You, you can see copies of this to this day. Um, and put that together. People to this day just, oh, this is, this is fantastic. God, you know, this man is a man of God. And no, he's, he's a part of the devil's tree here, man. Uh, a copy of six versions of the Old Testament written in parallel columns. The fifth column is the one where all the, all the other Bibles we see today come from. Um, a, a lot of these kind of things. So don't forget that. That's very important to know. This is also the time period uh, they were a persecuted church, as we talked about. You see it in verse 10. He says, Fear none of those things which uh, thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days, and be faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. Those, uh, those ten days are, uh, we believe, the ten official Roman persecutions that happened during this church period. Okay, and we listed them out for you, starting with Nero, okay, and going all the way to uh, Dialectian in 303. Uh, they were willing to pay the ultimate price, uh, where he tells them, or I'm sorry, where uh, is, is uh, recorded in um, John Martyr's book, um, or John Fox's book of Martyrs. Uh, he says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Um, the biggest thing, again, or one of the big things here to remember is that they taught that God is finished with the Jews, something that still is around today. Um, what you believe about the Jews, you know, affects what you believe about your Bible, affects what you believe about the doctrine in the Bible, uh, and in particular about the millennium, okay? Um, that's a big deal. Um, what else should we make sure we cover here? The, the big... False teachings you see come out of this time is baptism, baptismal regeneration we talked about already, um, tongues, apostolic healing. Uh, remember, there's Jews all around here, and, and they're missing this. And no eternal security. That's where that gets started, unfortunately. And, of course, this is, the one, uh, this is one of the fundamental doctrines upon which Satan builds his counterfeit church, um, Claiming the promises of the Jews and um, God's testimony on this, we see in verse 9 there, is that he calls it blasphemous and satanic. And uh, it's important for us not to ever, and this is why rightly dividing the word of truth is so important, um, understanding the audience, understanding the context, understanding those three groups of people and the three applications of Scripture. Um, because if you don't, you start applying things to yourself that don't apply to you and I as Christians. All right? Um, let's move on to the next church. What's the next church? Pergamus. Pergamus. Okay. So the time frame there is, of course, uh, 325, and that's because, and this is an event, if you will, with Constantine and the Council of Nicaea. Uh, it, uh, it starts at 325 and goes to approximately 500 A.D. Again, that's an approximate uh, what it really, what, what your context there is the beginning of the Dark Ages, what's commonly called the Dark Ages, that time period. That's what, that's what it produced, okay? So that should tell you a lot about this. Um, they are post-Niacene, historically speaking. Uh, the key people, of course, at the time are Augustine um, and, and several others that, that we went over with you. What, what does the name Pergamus mean? 
much marriage. And why is that important what, to uh, what we're looking at here? Yeah, the church, the church is, marrying, is marrying the world. In other words, they're taking in the things of the world. And again, isn't that what we see today? I, I mean, we're just, it's like, it's like psycho, or what Christian counseling. Uh, most Christian counseling is nothing more, I believe, uh, than worldly counseling, secular counseling with Christian window dressing. And that's the modern church today, right? Christians um, acting like the world, but with Christian window dressing, you know. We love God and we do this, but, man, we can still go out and party with you guys and get drunk, you know, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and we can do all those things, but we still love God and can be used to God. Well, okay. All right. Like I say, God will straighten out all of our doctrine and beliefs when that trumpet sounds. It's true, right? Not my job to fix bad doctrine, but it is my job to recognize it, call it out. Okay? And I will call it out. And so should you. Um, it's the time in church history where the church is married to the world. The deviations of the Ephesus church period that we saw begin with the doc and then the doctrines of the Smyrna church. They get fully developed, that counterfeit church, into this time period, this church age. Uh, and this imposter becomes accepted as the true church or what? What's its name? The Holy Roman Catholic Church. Okay? Don't hate Roman Catholics, by the way. And, and I actually love, I, I truly do love Roman Catholics and would rather deal with them than Latter-day Saints, which I've always dealt with. <laughs> For some reason, God's put them in my path all the time. Because Roman Catholics are people who want a relationship with God. They are reaching out and they are being lied to and abused and I'm just like, man, I mean, if that was your daughter or your son being abused by somebody, would you stand for that? And yet, we, 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 let, we let a church, because they are spiritual and religious and so holy, and you see, they got the, the smoke and the robes and the smoke and mirrors is what you're talking about. And it's wicked. But the people themselves, man, they, love, they, they want a relationship with God. A lot, of, a lot of our church history, Bob, you know, we're just talking about Baptist history. A lot of it comes from guys who were former priests who started reading a Bible and said, hey, something doesn't add up here. In fact, several of them, and I'll move on here, but you know the term red light district? What's that mean? Yeah, that's where the prostitutes are. You know where that actually comes from? It comes from the area where the offspring from priests and nuns were cast off to and, and allowed to, to be raised and grow up, a lot of which became priests. I, I won't jump into that too much more than that, but just understand some things. It's interesting how God begins his letter here to them. Uh, if you look at it in, in chapter 2 verse 12, uh, he says, um, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Wow. So he, he shows up in this letter, and he's armed. 
it's not sheed, you know. He's got the pistol out, and he's walking up. And they're like, whoa, 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 what, what, you know. That's what's going on. Because, you know, Hebrews 4.12, right? The word of God is what? Sharp, two-edged sword. That's right, Jason. Man, and, and, and he's pulling it out on them. He's letting them know. Uh, this church dwells where Satan dwells. Verse 13, he says, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, dwellest. Key word there. Even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. Verse 14, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them which hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and, and so on. Now, the key things that we want to point out there is Satan has a seat. It's a throne where he rules from. And uh, where is that? It's Rome. It's Rome. Satan's primary place of operation is religion. Remember the first words you ever see the devil say in, in, in Genesis chapter 3? We just talked about this Monday night, didn't we? What? Yeah, yea, half God said. That's his MO, guys, his modus operandi. He works in religion. You know why? Because he used to be the anointed cherub, right? That covereth. That's what he knows best. His, one of his jobs was to lead all the angels in singing and, and, and praise. That's his bailiwick. He knows it well. That's why he can counterfeit it well. Uh, the Babylonian mystery religion came to Pergamos. Um, you actually see it beginning around 130, 133 B.C., 35, right in there. I forget exactly, but I know it's right about that time period. And you really see it flourish now um, <clears throat> because of what just happened with um, my mind just left me, guys. I know it's in here. The, who, who's the guy that, that uh, well, uh, we're going to hit this in a, in a second. I can follow some instructions. I don't hear anything, but I can follow some. Okay, the Babylonian priesthood was active, uh, as we said earlier, when John wrote Revelation, which was back in the Ephesus church period. Um, but it has to do with Nimrod and uh, Samarius, uh, who founded the Babylonian, Babylonian mystery religions, um, had a son named Tammuz. And it, it's very interesting and, and this is why it's important to pay attention to church history because there's a lot of movies and books. And not that movies are real, but movies are a big part of people's lives, aren't they? 
Um, and, and let me point this. Do you know what the fastest growing religion in Europe for the last 20 years and now in the United States is one of the fastest growing religions? You know what it is? No. That's a good guess because Islam is, uh, maintains and still is one of the fastest growing worldwide. It's paganism. All the old Greek gods, you know, like Thor and these guys. Say again? Yeah, well, paganism. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's Vikings, the Scandinavian guys. But, uh, but no, all those kind of guys. I, I had a guy that I um, befriended. I mean, we became friends, um, but he was a pagan. And uh, he worshipped, he had three gods, one in particular, and I mean, he'd, he'd tell you all about them. But that's, it's been the number one fastest growing religion. It's not the number one biggest, but it's the fastest growing religion in Europe for the last 20 years and in the United States for the last five. You didn't hear about that? That wasn't on the news? Hmm. Unbelievable. But I'm saying that because these names, the names that you hear in movies and the things that influence not only our children and grandchildren, but ourselves at times, you'll start recognizing names out of church history and out of Babylon, mystery religion. Um, Tamus being one of them that you hear quite a bit. Uh, they believed, and it was said that uh, Tamus was conceived by um, Samaria's who was a virgin through a ray of sunlight. Okay, uh, his birthday is December 25th, by the way, worshipped by many, uh, statues erected. You know, the Madonna and Child, you know, that you see in Catholic, it actually goes back to these guys. And, and this is Nimrod back there in Genesis chapter 10, by the way, way before the Catholic Church. Truth is, they're, they're one and the same. There's just a whole lot more packed into that thing now. But that's where Madonna and Child go back to because they're like a chameleon. They just draw in and draw in. Um, Got to get moving here. Um, this church age is dealing with those that hold the doctrines of Balaam that we just saw. Um, you need to remember that this is the church period that transubstantiation is introduced. You know what transubstantiation is, besides a big old word that's hard to say when you're missing most of your teeth. Uh, <laughs> yep. All right. That's, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, in the Catholic Church and, and a lot of what the Catholic Church calls its stepsister or its stepchildren, uh, Protestants um, still do a lot of times. They're, they believe that when they're doing the sacrament, their term, not a Bible's term, of uh, transubstantiation, that it actually becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so they're eating it. Why would you even entertain that? I, you know, but hey, I'm thinking Bible. Why would we don't need to do that? Religion, right? Um, the doctrine of Balaam, of course. Uh, Balak wanted Balaam to curse Israel. He couldn't curse Israel because God wouldn't let him, but he found a way for Israel to curse themselves. 
Um, he taught them to cause a, uh, a woman of Moab to intermarry with the Jews. They weren't supposed to be doing that, right? And uh, the Jews began to worship the gods of their wives. Remember God telling them, don't do that because this is what will happen. And, of course, dad's always right in the long run. I don't say that because I'm a dad. I say that because too often I'm thinking, I hate it when dad was right. My dad was a lot more right than I wanted to give him credit for. My heavenly father, dad, is always right, and so is yours. Pergamon's church age is also dealing with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Um, and he talks about that. That doctrine, of course, uh, persists to this day. Uh, it's uh, uh, during this period that the priest class is officially introduced. Again, it's a product of the uh, Council of Nicaea. Um, it grows out of that is what I should be saying. But uh, where you have um, the Nicolaitans. Remember what that means? It means, it means to rule or conquer is what the word uh, literally means, but it means to literally rule or conquer the laity, the lay people, the common people. And they did that with the priest class. Okay? Uh, the only way to stop the heresies through the sharp uh, word of God, which is what, uh, why he came right at them with, with the word of God there in verse 12, and then he dives into it in verses 16 and 17. Uh, it is during this time also that true believers are standing against false doctrine by standing on the word of God and Excuse me. God promises to give them hidden manna, which is the word of God, and to give them a white stone. Remember he talks about that? You remember what the white stone is? What, why that's significant? Right, not guilty. In, in, in those times when the white stone, that verdict would come out, the white stone meant not guilty. So that's, that's what he's talking about there. And that's a big deal um, because everybody you know, who's religious and supposedly Christian and is not, is telling them, you're guilty if you don't believe the way we're telling you to believe, which is still going on today. Um, when we say much marriage, as far as uh, the meaning of Pergamos, uh, that marriage kind of takes place there at the Council of Nicaea. Uh, the council is convened by the Roman Emperor Constantine. That's the name I couldn't remember. That's the event that uh, really uh, gives us the, the uh, antidote and post-Nicene line. It was assembled for the purpose of uniting Christianity under a uh, solidified doctrinal agreement. The pagan Roman Empire, which had previously been persecuting Christians, now is uh, uh, Constantine's Christian uh, world, his empire. And um, you have to remember, there's a battle called the Battle of the Bridges, I believe, where he and another guy who were vying for um, being, being the ruler of, of the kingdom um, uh, was going on. And he claims that he had a vision um, that he saw in the sky and that uh, God told him, in this sign, conquer. And that is that kind of crook thing or P-looking thing with an X, right? Which you see in all kinds of different ways and goes back to two Greek letters and... Uh, it's, uh, it's a rendering of the word Christ, uh, according to them. That's, that's what they use. And so he put it on all their stuff, and, and uh, he ended up winning that battle. And, and, and what, he, what he really was doing was something geopolitical in that he was 
taking a fractured kingdom and uniting it and bringing it all together in religion by taking those that had been previously persecuted who now, this, there's a large group of them are saying, oh, hey, hey, now we're accepted. We just have to believe it like this. And so they, okay, because I don't want to get killed. As opposed to those that said, I don't care if you kill me or not. You know, like the three Hebrew children. Hey, if God wants to deliver me, he can. If he wants to go ahead and burn me up, no problem. We'll go in. And they did. And God walked with them. He didn't take them out of it. He walked it with them in it. Whole another message. Um, again, this, this council actually accomplished uh, what they did was to marry Christianity to pagan Rome. Um, all your old Roman gods became the saints, as Roman Catholics know them today. Um, there's a lot of things, and, and I know Pastor went over a lot of those, and and uh, and you should read. There's a lot of good books that you can you can read about these things. During the, I already talked about that. And, and remember this too: Constantine claims to be a Christian because of his experience. Yet there is no testimony anywhere in anything that he said, and it's highly documented of a salvation experience whatsoever. There's no gospel whatsoever uh, experience in his life at all. But he had an experience like a lot of people do. Well, and now I'm a Christian. Whoa. Talk to Steve Fleshman about that sometime. All right? Some of you know his testimony. He thought he was a Christian. He was actually preaching in a church where they had no pastor, so three of them, him being one of the three, were preaching every Sunday. And then uh, uh, member of this church actually, I don't say who, but um, that he worked with at the time, they befriend each other. You know, they're both Christians. They're talking, and finally, uh, this man had the courage, and, and God gave him the grace to say, "Hey, brother, I love you, but you understand, you're not you're not a Christian. You're not saved." And Steve will tell you, it made him mad. But it also, because you know Steve, his heart, he wanted truth, and so he ends up banging on his door at two o'clock in the morning saying, I got to get saved. And his wife gets saved. And then he preaches to his church. He then tells him, you're too emotional because he's crying when he's telling what God did for him. And so we don't want you. And he, he called me crying. <laughs> and just, oh, my gosh. I said, man, you take that letter and you frame it and you keep it. Because we knew it was going to happen, didn't we? We were waiting for it. He goes, well, what do I do now that I'm Baptist? <laughs> Well, that doesn't make you Baptist, and, and that's okay. We're Anabaptists, if anything. But anyway, um, experiences don't make you Christian, okay? I used to believe I was a Christian because I was an American, and I believed in God and Jesus. So, of course, I'm a Christian. That's what everybody told me. You know, you believe in that, and you're, you know, we're the Christian nation, so I'm a Christian. And I was about to bust hell wide open. Okay, um, you can read, and, and we gave you in the material, the Nicene Creed. Uh, read through it. Be careful. Uh, there are a couple good things that came out of it. Um, the person of Jesus Christ, um, said, they said Jesus is God, so God is a trinity. Uh, and the horrific persecution of the church stopped for a short time. Okay? Uh, the things that were 
even better that were lost due to that Council of Nicaea is the true doctrine of salvation was gone. And uh, the final authority was now the church, not the Word of God. So remember, we've got to exercise our minds to biblically view things that are going on in the name of Christianity. Uh, it's, It's not about what's spiritual or Christian. It's about what is biblical and scriptural. Um, this is also when you see counterfeit Bibles get started. And if you remember, we, we told you Eusebius, uh, under orders from Constantine, produced 50 Bibles. Uh, two of those exist today, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, um, are there. And, and, and um, they are the cornerstones. There's some others, but they're the cornerstones of the, of the uh, what I call the, um, I can't remember what I call them, but I don't call them, what do I call them? I don't call them uh, real Bibles. I used to keep them on the bottom shelf. And uh, one, of, one of the, the guy who was the, the youth pastor in the church that, that we helped start when we first went to, to Phoenix, he'd just come in and goes, I can't believe you have those all down there. I said, well, that's, I couldn't find anything lower, so that's where they are. Yeah, because they're terrible. But that's, that's, this is where they come from, okay? Um, and I kept all of the King James. I like to collect old King James Bibles. I kept them all on the top. So it, my intention wasn't to goad them, um, but it was a, a fringe benefit. So, Okay, uh, Christianity at this time gets flooded with paganism. Uh, Christmas, obviously, is Christ's Mass, uh, formerly known before that time as Saturnia. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but again, celebrating uh, December 25th, the birth of Tammuz to, uh, uh, no, I'm not saying her, right, her name right either, Semiramis, uh, I believe it is. Um, Easter, which was actually Ashtar or Ishtar, um, it has to do with fertility and immoral practices. That's why you have eggs and bunny rabbits and all that kind of stuff. The worship of Mary, uh, which is Semiramis. Um, they call her the Queen of Heaven there in Jer- Jeremiah. Help me out here. Is it 44? Um, yeah, 44. Uh, the Rosary, um, which you can find used almost a thousand years before Christ. Um, they were to use um, to count prayers to Ashtar. Uh, and interestingly, they're used not only by Catholics, but also by Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and, and a multitude of others. Statues get renamed. Zeus becomes Peter. Tammuz is now Jesus. And Semiramis is now Mary. And there's a, actually a big, long list. This is just the three main ones that we gave you. Symbols. Uh, we won't go into them, but... Crosses, steeples, fish, uh, Dagon. Remember when when, uh, the Philistines captured the uh, ark and carried it into their temple? And they came in and Dagon's on his face. You know, he's the fish god. That's a a guy, some people you'll hear, he's one of the old guys. He's been around a long time. What's interesting about that to me is where where do fish swim? In the ocean also called the sea, right? Let's see, this is a different kind of fish that swims in the sea out there. You go outside tonight, you look at those stars, you're looking at the sea, as the Bible calls it. And sometimes it's referred to as the deep. Uh, That's what you're dealing with, a god, little g, from there. And, uh, yeah, they put him back up, and they came in again, and everything's cut off on him. So, (laughs) you know, that might, you know, what's his name? Here's your sign, (laughs) okay? All right, the next church, and we've got to go fast because, of course, I, as usual, take a little too long on these. But um, 
What's the next church? Son. What's the next church? Thyatira. What's that mean? No, the opposite. Odor of affliction. Odor of affliction. Okay? Um, this time in church history is bloody. Uh, it's, it's basically the beginning of the Dark Ages, around 500 uh, A.D., running approximately 1,000 A.D. Uh, the Bible was removed from the hands of the common man during this time. Uh, this is a time uh, where, you know, uh, we marked Pergamus, you know, from, from Constantine there, 325 to 500 at the beginning of the Dark Ages. And then the dark, the, this, this church period, Thyatira, runs from the beginning of the Dark Ages to the times of the Crusades, approximately, give or take a little bit, 1000 A.D. All right? Um, I'm going to get some highlights here. This is the time period also that introduces us to Muhammad and, and Islam. Um, and when we start seeing uh, persecution, not only of, of Christians, incredibly bloody, uh, but also um, uh, Muslims. There's a, and you say, well, okay, but it's Muslims. Uh, anytime somebody's being persecuted and killed for their faith, that's not a good thing, okay? Because what they can do to them, they can do to you. One of the things that, and, and Lisa will, might remember this, um, but but when when we started first having this issue of Muslims coming to America and and people wanting to make laws, and and I'm not going to get into my own beliefs on all this. Um, I'm, I'm fairly conservative, moderate conservative, but but uh, the bottom line is. Uh, whatever laws that you might want them to make concerning Islam in this country can also be used on us and will be. Just wait. In fact, they'll be used more on us than it will on them, <laughs> as you'll see. Um, but those things are going to happen. Rome used uh, to persecute Bible believers because they wouldn't embrace the false gods of paganism going back as far as Nero, but it really starts to, to get into vogue during this time. Um, the condemnation, or commendation, I'm sorry, for them, is found in verses uh, 19 and then 24 and 25. God tells them, hey, I, I won't take my eyes. I look at verse 19. He says, I know thy works and, and charity and service and faith and thy patience, thy works, and the last, uh, hang on, yeah, and, and thy last, to be more than the first. Come down to verse 24. But I say unto you, but, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. Uh, so he tells them, hey, I'm not going to take my eyes off of you. I'm still here uh, with you, for you. Um, this group did not adopt the doctrine of Jezebel, if you will. Um, and remember this, God always keeps and has a remnant, right? But what does remnant mean, ladies? What? What kind of, is it, it's a leftover piece, isn't it? Yeah. And, and that's, that's what is, you know, after the persecution, after the problem, you see this in the Old Testament with the persecution of Jews. Um, it's the remnant. And it's what's going to be seen to the nth degree in the tribulation when they are 
persecuted and killed to where when we say, when the Bible says remnant, man, it's, it's a small remnant. There is not much left. There's not many of them left. Um, the condemnation, uh, then verse 14, again in 20, is this, they are committing fornication and eating things sacrificed to idols. Someone is, anyway, in, in, the, in that church. And uh, he refers to it as the doctrine of Balaam. We reviewed that briefly. And uh, referred to as that woman Jezebel. And, uh, and remember this, when the Bible refers to a woman, uh, it's always going to be in regard to religion. Okay? It's, it's uh, something you see throughout the Word of God. It's a type of an organized false religion. Uh, in type, and you see it in Proverbs a lot. Uh, Revelation 17, the whole chapter, right? Uh, the the uh, mystery Babylon woman who uh, um, you see there. The woman Jezebel is a religious system, and you see her from the Book of Judges and, and the books of the Kings all the way up to uh, this time period and on to today. In the um, uh, the thing I'll just remind you of, I'm going to go quick here, is that Baalism in the Old Testament is Roman Catholicism in the New Testament. Okay? They are the exact same system. The difference is that they have more things now than they had then. Um, they were slim and trim back then, so to speak. Um, today, man, they've taken, they've taken in everything and everybody that uh, is against God but wants to, wants to be God. Kind of like Satan, right? Not God, but wants to be God. Um, during this period, there are still Bible believers. Um, they are referred to by their enemies as the Cathari, the Montanists, the Novitationists, the Donatists, uh, and so there's a bunch of them. We gave you some of those names. Uh, later, of course, they're called Waldensians, uh, Mennonites, Hussites, Brethren, and Baptists. Baptists. So... Um, just to review quickly, the Ephesus period began to deviate from the Word of God. The Smyrna period, you saw those, def those uh, deviations become doctrine within the church. Pergamus period, you see that fully developed and married into the church. Um, pagan Rome becoming Papal Rome. And in this church period, uh, Thyatira, Papal Rome, begins to conquer the rest of the world. Uh, they even had uh, coins. And I forget which guy it was. It'll be in your notes. Um, who first did this, but um, whenever, whenever uh, they would go out from Portugal or Spain, uh, which were the two big uh, countries that it went exploring during these times, they had a coin. On one side, it would have the emperor, okay? And on the other side, it would have a woman sitting on the world, and that would be the Church of Rome. And, and I forget, but there's words in Latin that say, that basically means... Uh, she ruleth the world from her seat. And that's what's going on now. Um, the last one we'll look at real quick is, uh, or I'm sorry, is, yeah, the last one we'll look at tonight because we won't have time for Philadelphia, is the Sardis Church Age. Uh, this time frame runs us from the middle of the Dark Ages around 1000 A.D. to 1500 A.D., uh, often called the Midnight of the Dark Ages. Um, this time period is also extremely bloody and horrific. Um, this is where you see a lot of torture and murder uh, by the millions, not hundreds or thousands, but by the millions, uh, by the encouragement of the Roman Catholic priests and popes during these times, during the Crusades, and the most horrific thing 
called the Inquisition. Um, you see the uh, Spanish in Inquisitors come up during this time, the invasions of Saladin and Genghis Khan. Um, you see an influx of Asian culture uh, with Hinduism, Muslim, those things really begin to, to grow, and that's why you have those crusades. And again, that, start, that's, that marks the beginning of this church age period. Um, Sardis, what, what does that mean? Red ones. Why, why is that significant? Bloody. They are bloody like no one else. Uh, they're typified by bloodshed, torture, and martyrdom. And the killing is done, of course, um, by the woman uh, of Revelation 17. Uh, in fact, Revelation 17, 4 says, She is arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand. And uh, if you look at the Catholic Encyclopedia, okay, it will tell you. The Kappa Magna, it's a cloak with a long train and hooded shoulder cape that is purple for bishops and scarlet for cardinals. The cassock, the official garb of the Catholic clergy, purple for bishops, scarlet for cardinals. The pectoral cross, a chain around the neck, should be made of gold and decorated with gems. And a golden chalice, of course, the most important of the sacred vessels just like it says right there in Revelation 17, 4, written long before it happened. Um, a lot of this going on uh, at that time. The, uh, condem the condemnation for this church uh, is that her works, uh, I'm sorry, this church claims that her works are the perfect will of God, but God does not agree with them, <laughs> okay? He has a controversy with them, and God warns this church to repent or she's going to go up and smoke. Revelation 18, and uh, the works that she needs to repent of, uh, well, the seven crusades, okay? When Muslims complain, they, they have um, a pretty good basis to complain, quite frankly. Just remember, because they'll say, well, you Christians, on whoa, whoa, time out. That was the Catholic Church. That was not true Christians, which is a good intro sometimes. I've, I've used it many times. Um, I've had a lot of Muslim friends and a lot of friends who are not Muslim but come from countries. I had a friend for a long time uh, from Iran uh, back when the Shah was still in power. Uh, and his dad was a uh, diplomat here in Kansas City. And uh, they don't think of themselves as Iranian even today. They think of themselves as what they truly are, which is Persian. By the way, do you know where one of the largest Jewish populations in the world is? It's in Iran, in Persia to this day, going back to the times of Ruth and, 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 uh, and Isaiah and these folks, going way back there. A lot of those Jews from that time never did go back to the land. Just That's for free. You don't have to pay extra on the way out unless you want to. Um, remember, Bible-believing Christians are not a part of the Crusades, had nothing to do with it. Um, throughout the Crusades, millions of Bible-believers, Muslims, and nonconformists lost their lives under the heavy hand of Rome. Uh, Rome continued to have three basic reasons for the Crusades, to conquer and assume the Holy Land. Well, because we're the church and we should have it. We're, we're, we're trying to rescue it. That's what they're saying. Nobody there wanted to be rescued, by the way. Um, and besides, Jesus had already told them he was going to come take care of that. So why are they doing that? That's not Christian. Um, they did to stop the spread of the Islamic Republic. 
they did a terrible job. If you go back and look at the Crusades and you look at the whole fight against the spread of Islam uh, during this time period, they, they I want to say they, yeah, they, they were terrible. Do you, you realize that they conquered all of the Mediterranean, all of Spain, all the way up to the past the Pyrenees, all the way up to half of France at one time and held it for several hundred years. So their confessed, their uh, written reason for doing those things, they, they were terrible about it. The other thing is they wanted to unite the east and west branches of Catholicism. Um, never happened either, uh, although they're definitely one and the same. The Inquisitions, of course, happen. Um, if, if you, I mean, there's no one here, I hope, that, that believes the lie that... Uh, uh, the things that Hitler did to the Jews during World War II were, were a lie. They were not. Um, for those of us who are old enough, um, I know most of us had friends whose parents suffered and were in those camps and went through those things. And, I mean, it's, that is not a lie. That is absolute truth. Um, but if you look at what he did to them and what the Catholic Church did to them, they'd rather have Hitler. You go, go read it. Go, go find out what happened. After the Crusades and Inquisitions, the Catholic Church is still set on taking religions to the end of the earth. And this, of course, introduces us to the time of Christopher Columbus or uh, Christopher Cologne, which is his real name, which is why in South America, you ha in, in Central America, you have uh, the coinage is called Colones, uh, going back to that time. Um, the com commendation for this church was that there was a remnant that would not defile themselves with the harlot, and they didn't. Uh, these were the saints that were never part of the Roman religious system and the saints who were against Rome even before the reformers came along. They, the, these, this, this time period and the people who um, stood on the word of God are the ones who really paved the way for what happens then in the next church period of Philadelphia. And they paved it with blood, their own. Again, how many of you have not read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Okay, that's your assignment. <laughs> Seriously, uh, I mean, if I only had a few books, obviously the Bible would be one, but that would, and maybe Strong's Concordance, but Fox's Book of Martyrs would be one of those books. Um, you need to read it. You need to see what these people went through. Okay. Um, Let's see what else here real quick, and then we're going to be done. Um, remember this, too. The, these folks that really stood during this period, um, the Albigensians, the Ligurians, the Waldensians, Cathari, all these people, the Lawlers, the Anabaptists, uh, these groups were branded as heretics by the Roman Catholic Church. And by the way, in case you didn't know this, are still branded as heretics. As a Baptist, as far as the Roman Catholic Church over in Rome is concerned, we are heretics. Okay, uh, just like, you know, Muslims, they don't make any, you know, you know what they think about you, right? Rome doesn't want you to, to know how they really feel uh, because they are sneaking up on you, and that's a problem. Um, five points of theology from this church and these groups that we'll go over and then we'll be done because I'm running just a little bit over. The Bible alone was the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. That's what they stood on. That's why God stood with them. 
Baptism was not connected with salvation in any way and was for believers only and only by immersion. Uh, they believe in the separation of church and state, no state churches, okay, which, is, which was the way the world was run before this, well, during this time. Um, they would never pray to or for any person that was dead. They did not give any credence to the mythological place called purgatory where somebody can be held hostage with a foot. And they completely rejected the Roman Catholic Church mass and anything connected to it. So um, that's just a review of those first five. Um, we just don't have time to get to, or I don't have time to get to, get to the Church of Philadelphia. Hopefully that's clear in your mind, and, and that's the one without a condemnation, only a commendation. And the one thing I will say about that that affects you and I right here in the Laodicean church age is that unlike a, a lot of good men, one, one, one of the guys that I love and respect a lot does not believe this. He, he, he and, and, and the good church of today, if you will, I don't know how, how to say this, but, but believes that they just need to be the best Laodicean church they can be. In other words, have the best window dressing and everything, and hopefully we'll win them to Christ. Okay, that's, that's not right. We can be and should be a Philadelphian church in this Laodicean church age. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.